All right, the title of our study today is, Have You Caused the Dayspring to Know His Place? God, of course, is talking to Job. Elihu has already spoken to Job, and Elihu is the two witnesses. And as I, as I have uh, said before, the Holy Spirit has come to Job now in the sense that he comes to us and reveals to us who Christ is. That's what we're like, like the Christ told Peter after three and a half years. This is toward the end of his ministry, just before he was slain. He asked Peter and the others, who, who, do, you, who do people say I am? They told him the different people. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And Christ asks them, who do you say I am? And Peter says, speaks up as he always does and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ told Peter, he said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. Now, the Holy Spirit hadn't come, but the Holy Spirit was dealing with the apostles. And that's what's happening right here in the last five chapters of the book of Job, where God is speaking to Job. Elihu spoke from chapter 32 through chapter 37. And now God is speaking chapters 38 through chapter 42. And, and this is after the witness has been given, as Christ did to his apostles, and the Holy Spirit is now speaking to Job, speaking to us, confirming to us, in a very humbling way, what we have known and should have known and have confessed all along. Job knew God was sovereign. He knew this was all of God. He knew he had no right to be complaining. But our flesh takes over. And so God asks Job, verse 8, Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud a garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break it up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors. And said, Hitherto shall you come, and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days, and caused the day spring to know his place? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and that wicked men might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. All that's speaking of the day spring, and we're going to be doing a lot of talking today about the day spring, who it is, what it is, and what it does. As we've seen through all of our entire study here in the book of Job, God is showing us that he's doing what he's doing to us and with us. Everything that had happened to Job to this point typifies what happens in the lives of those with whom God is dealing and who he's judging at this time to bring us to himself. Job's experience begins with the assertion that he was perfect and an upright man who feared God and eschewed evil. This is what Job, how Job sees himself right at the very beginning. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one who feared God and eschewed evil. Now, what that tells us is that Job's experience in type and shadow begins in Babylon. He's not in the sea so to speak. I saw a beast come up out of the sea. Job is beyond that. He's in Babylon. He, he's on the earth and he thinks of himself as a very good person. And uh, that's how we all are when we're in Babylon. We don't think we're in Babylon. We don't think we're uh, being ridden by a harlot. We think we are God's chosen people. His only chosen people. We really think a lot of ourselves. But we're completely unaware that we're really nothing more than a self-righteous Pharisee who doesn't have a clue that God is in complete control and running the whole show and that we have no free will and that all the doctrines that we believe are lies. Job's story begins in just that condition as a type of the Pharisee who was convinced that he was not like other men. He was convinced he was better than others. He was convinced he was God's chosen elect in whom God was living. And uh, we have that spirit revealed to us in Luke 11, Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. Now, while Job's free three friends have the self-same self-righteous spirit, they're not at this time being judged. They're still in Babylon. They're not being 
drug out as God is doing with Job. Their relationship with God will be given to them. Their true relationship with God, I should say, will be given to them at a later date through Job. You know, your Romans 11, verses 30 and 31, your, your belief is through their unbelief. And their mercy will be through your mercy. And it was Job 42, verses 7 through 8, God speaking to Job, just to make this point, that uh, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar will come to God through Job as the as the unelect will come to God through his elect. And it was so that after God had spoken these words to Job, now that's these five chapters we're going through right now, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. Now the reason I point that out is because Job was no different than them to begin with. And yet he says this about Job. The Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job has, after God got through with him. We'll get to that. Therefore, take unto you seven, now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job. Go to my elect, bow down, and know that I have loved them, him. And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job will pray for you, and him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job, whom I had to make put his hand on his mouth. Now the fact that their acceptance is contingent upon Job's prayer for them tells us that these men typify those who will come to God only through the saviors who come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. These men are all Edomites, so you know they're a perfect example of that. Esau is Edom. In other words, Job typifies the saviors of the first resurrection, while his friends typify those who come to God through through Job, through the lake of fire. Obadiah 21, it's a one chapter book, saviors will come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, here's Job, uh, just a second here. Here's Job praying for his friends, and here are the saviors upon Mount Zion, judging the Mount of Esau, in the New Testament. It's in Revelation 3, verse 9. Behold, I, make, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. But even though Job typifies God's elect, who are judged first, what we're seeing through the excruciating trials of Job is that we too, are enduring the very same fiery words of judgment, which are the word word of God, because all things come alike to all, and there is but one event to the righteous and to the wicked. Now that's a hard pill to swallow for those who think that those in the lake of fire are going to get uh, twice as much punishment and everything as all of us. Well, listen, it is a great loss to being there. They will suffer loss. The loss of being those who will rule with Christ a thousand years, the loss of being those who are the door through which and the channel through which others will come and bow down and and receive their salvation through the mercy that was shown to us, through us. That's all true. But nonetheless, this is the truth of the whole experience of mankind. Ecclesiastes 9.2 All things come alike to all. There's one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean. And to the unclean, to him that sacrifices and him that sacrifices not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that swears is he that fears an oath. In other words, doesn't swear. What this tells us is that the fire that torments all men torments God's elect first. And will torment the rest of mankind in the lake of fire. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Then down in verse 17 of the same chapter, he says, The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what will the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So, Job is being tried first. And his friends will be made to humble themselves before him and God. And he will pray for them and God will accept them. 
So we have several Old Testament types of God's judgment beginning at the house of God. And in every case, it's those who are considered to be God's house who are used by God to afflict and to try his elect. And I'm going to give just, I think I've got three examples here to make this point. Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. Genesis 37 verses 4 and and then verse 18. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That is a type of you and me. When people realize that we know that we're God's children and that we've been given our code of many... When when that becomes... When you admit to that, that yes, I am the redeemed of the Lord. And I do know the truth. You, you do that and you're setting yourself up to be hated by all men. And, and you've, got, you've got to do it. If you don't do it, you're denying Christ. Because Christ says, you will know the truth. So we do know the truth and we better be willing to say so. King David was betrayed. Oh, wait a minute, I've got verse 18 there. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to slay him. Joseph's brothers. King David was was betrayed by his very closest counselor. Uh, Psalms 55, verses 12 through 14. It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you. A man my equal, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. Now those are the people who will turn against you. People you thought would never do it. And yet, it's the calling of God's elect. The third example is Job himself being mocked and condemned by his closest friends. The very people who should be comforting comforting him. Job 19.19 All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. And of course it all foreshadows the rejection of Christ by Judas, and and, uh, being forsaken by his own apostles. And uh, that's what's mentioned when it says in Zechariah, uh, being wounded in the house of his friends. Zechariah 13.6 And one will say to him, What are these wounds in your hands? And he'll answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Matthew 26.14-16 One of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said to them, What will you give me and I'll deliver him to you? And they con- covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. While Job obviously represents the betrayal he has suffered at the hands of his own friends, he certainly does not yet yet see himself as the type of anyone who has betrayed his own creator and maker by reproving, contending with, and condemning his own God. So, God continues his judgment of our doomed old man. At, At this point, Job still typifies that. Now, since our own words have testified against us, as we've seen in our previous studies, Job said that he was done wrong by God, just came out and said it. So God continues to ask Job these incredibly belittling questions, just showing Job how how, how little right he has, has to tell God how to run his show. Verse verse, 30, verse 8, Or who shut up the sea with doors and when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud thereof, a, a garment thereof, and thick darkness the swaddling band for it. In the physical realm, these verses would apply to the earth during the creation, before the command was given for the dry land to appear, as well as the time of Noah when the waters covered the highest mountains. Of course, inwardly, they will apply to what we are in the sea before we come out. You know, we have no we have no choice in being in Adam in the sea, covered by the waters of the raging unstable waters of 
the flesh. And yet, we think we can tell God how to do things right and, and what's wrong with what he does? That's what God is doing here. But here's the uh, the examples of how that how that is within us. Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We are born as the most self-centered little beasts in the world, screaming to be fed and demanding that uh, our every need be taken care of, and which a loving parent will do. But nonetheless, that's our spiritual condition at that time, totally without any knowledge of God. Genesis 7, verses 18 through 20, The waters prevailed, this is at the flood of Noah, the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills were under the that were under the whole heaven, were covered. How in the world a person, a man of reasonably good intelligence, can read that and call that a local flood is beyond me, but that's what most Christians do these days. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. King David seems to apply this very same description to the foundations of the earth at the time of the creation as well as the flood, telling us they did not turn again to cover the earth. Psalms 104, verses 5 through 9. Who laid the the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? You covered it with the deep as with a garment, and the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys under the place you have founded for them. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Now there are mountains under the sea. And there are mountains that stick up above the sea. Some of those we call islands. And of course the continents themselves are nothing more than mountains sticking up out of the sea. So just in in a much larger amount. But the sea is the biblical type and figure of all flesh on earth. And these waters of the deep are the symbol of the death and desolation, which are the fruits of the spirit, the carnal mind. It was these fruits of the carnal mind and the fruits of the flesh which necessitated the destruction of all flesh at the time of the flood. Genesis 6, verses 11 through 13. The earth was corrupt before the Lord. Now, the disciples asked Christ what was the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. They, they wanted to really know how things would wind up, even though they were actually thinking in their mind it would be right away and that there would be a physical Jewish kingdom set up. Nonetheless, here's what Christ said it would be like. The earth was, he said it would be like it was in the days of Noah, when the earth was corrupt before the Lord, before God, and the earth was filled with violence. That's what it will be like. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come unto before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In other words, God will judge us out of our own mouth. And he will bring this earth to its rightful end. And just as he destroyed all flesh then, all flesh will again be destroyed this time by fire. But let's let's just read on here in Psalms 104, verse 24 through 30. O Lord, manifold are your works, and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So is this great and wide sea. We, we've just been told, you know, that the beast came up out of the sea. It's, all, it's a type, biblical type of all flesh. Wherein are things creeping and innumerable, both small and great beasts. Beasts in the sea. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom you have made to play therein. Satan takes those at his will, as it says. And that's the type of that Leviathan plays. These wait upon you, that you may give them their meat in due season. And God does. He feeds 
the beasts and God's elect. He feeds, he, feeds, he feeds everything. In him we live and move and have our being, even as pagan Athenians. That you give them, they gather. You open their, your hand and they are filled with good. You hide your face and they're troubled. You take away their breath and the Hebrew word there is ruach, which means spirit. You take away their spirit and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit. Same word as in the previous verse. Just properly translated here in verse 30. And they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. Now notice from whence this biblical beast arises. Verse 1 of Revelation 13. I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Horns and crowns and blasphemy. This was just a very confident Job who thought he could just tell God what to do. That's what this beast is. And Job is a type of that beast. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it, those words tell us that Christ is here speaking of the time when we were in the sea. In the flesh. Those That time is figured by the three days of creation before the earth, before the, the, the fourth and fifth days when God makes the stars and the fowls of the heaven, the types of his angelic sons of God who shouted for joy when he finished his marred physical creation with his crowning temporal physical achievement, which was mankind and all the other beasts all on the sixth day. Ecclesiastes 3.18 says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of man that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them. As the one dies, so dies the other. Yes, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. It's Christ himself who tells us the spiritual meaning of the fowls of the heaven in his parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 3. He spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the way, and the fowls came and devoured them up. The fowls came and devoured them up, the seed that fell by the way. Now in verse 18, he interprets this. Hear you, therefore, the parable of the sower. When one hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, the fowls of the air. Uh, and uh, catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the way. Now God continues to point out that we do not did not even exist when he laid the foundations of, of his creation. And that is the point. It's not. It's not as some people claim that God... Job is is declaring that he was there when God that 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 misses that that's that law of circularity, false doctrine that has. It's actually consumed the souls of many poor brothers and sisters. The very point that's being made is reversed, as if Job could say, "Well, I was right there, Lord. I was shouting for joy," and that's not the case at all. So God asked Job. And I it points out, and break up for it, talking about the sea, the decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, there, hitherto shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. That is speaking of what God does to keep us from being just completely overwhelmed with wickedness. Our book has been written, and God has already decided just how wicked we would be. And we will not go beyond that. King David answers this question for us when, when this question God has just posed. In Psalms 104, verses 5 through 9, same chapter we were just in. Who, God, through Christ, laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever, meaning for the age. The word is Olam. You covered it with the deep as with a garment, covered it with wickedness as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hasted away. They go down by the mountains. They go down by the valleys. As they go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys. Under the place you have founded for them. 
you set a bound that they should not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. So God, when he says that they will not come back, they don't come back. Now we've demonstrated that the sea symbolizes the flesh out of which all our beasts are brought forth. Revelation 13.1 there. And I saw, stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the, head, out of the sea. So for those who have been taken in with the false doctrine which teaches that the aeons don't come to an end and who teach that this physical earth is a permanent fixture and that God's <clears throat> decreed place for the seas is a permanent decree for the proud waves there of the works of our flesh, they will do well to pay attention to these words of Job himself. Job 26 verses 10 through 13. He has compassed the water with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of the heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divides the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smites the proud. By his spirit he has garnished the heavens, and his hand formed the crooked serpent. Now those are Job's words. And uh, Job ought to remember them. But he doesn't. You know, we're all the same way. This is us. We can see so much that's wrong with another person, but we can't see it in ourselves. And that's what Job was doing there. He, was, he wasn't talking to himself. He thought that he understood everything. When the truth is, he had no idea just how much higher than himself God really is. Now here's how Peter deals with this false doctrine that there will never be an end to the flesh of mankind, which is just the spirit that thinks it can contend with God. 2 Peter 3, verses uh, 3 through 7. Knowing this first, that there will shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Well, where is it? When, when is Christ coming back? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know, you hear it all the time. Well, they've been saying Christ is coming back for ever since Christ died. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. They've been saying it ever since he died. And there have been many dates set, and they were all wrong. And anyone who sets a date will be wrong. But she's still coming back. And there will still be a day when the rulership of this world will be handed over to God's elect for what the scriptures call a thousand years. Verse 5, For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So don't think that things won't change. And anyone who says that is just willingly ignorant of the fact that God did destroy all flesh. Literally, physically destroyed all flesh <clears throat> from the face of this earth. And he will do it again. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. He did not say that he would not destroy the earth with fire. He said he would not destroy the earth with water again. The truth is that God did destroy all flesh wherein was the breath of life once by water, and he will do so again by fire. Whether that fire is literal or symbolic, the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store unto fire against the day of judgment and the literal perdition of ungodly men. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God will possess all men. Now, that's not a very hard equation to figure out. If flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, and yet all men will be saved, that should tell you something. Again, the sea is the biblical type of the proud works of the flesh, which bring us all to our wit's end, according to Psalms 107, verse 27. Now, here's where God symbolically established the limits of our flesh. Genesis 1, verse 9. Now, this is as far as we can go in the flesh. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waves. 
called he sees, and God saw that it was good. It's good that we can't destroy mankind ourselves from the face of the earth. It's good that we can't just wipe ourselves out with our sins. And, uh, you know, there, there are those that commit suicide, but even that is actually done by God's work. He, it's man, man doesn't just take his own life without God having anything at all to do with it. God works all things after the counsel of his own will, and that includes even suicides and abortions and all these terrible, terrible, terrible things that take place and that men inflict upon themselves. It's all done through evil spirits that God sends to accomplish that purpose. The flesh is now limited. Even the crooked serpent can incite the flesh only as far as God has already decreed. Here again is Psalms 104. You have set the bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Now, is the crooked serpent a permanent fixture who will never, I mean, who will live forever in eternal flames of a physical fire? You know, it's, it's absolutely absurd. The scriptures teach that the just, that just as our old man in these vessels of clay, after serving their predestined purpose, will be destroyed and replaced by an immortal new man conformed to the image of God's Son, so too will the crooked serpent be destroyed and made to be at one with God, uh, the same God that we all have. Let's look, let's look at uh, the scriptures that bear this out. It's Hebrews and Colossians. Hebrews 2.14, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, it will be through his destruction that even Satan and his angels will be chastened to the Lord, just like it is with us. When we are, when we are uh, judged, we are chastened to the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 11.32. Look at Colossians 1.19 and 20. It pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him... To reconcile all things to himself. Not just those in Adam. All things. By him I say. Whether they be things in earth. That is Adam. Or things in heaven. That is evil spirits that the Lord has created to be evil spirits. The crooked serpent. The all things mentioned here is qualified. So we cannot misunderstand it. It's emphasized that all things means all things. Whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. This of necessity includes the devil. So Satan himself will be part of the reconciliation of all things to himself, by him, by Christ. Job 38 verse 12. You have commanded the morning. Have you commanded the morning since your days and caused the day spring to no place? Well, have we? No. We have no power of anything by ourselves. We can't even sin without God causing us to do so. And that is what Romans 7, verses 17 through 23 tell us. Just go read it. It's there for the, been there for thousands, thousands of years. It's still there. You can't sin unless God causes you to sin. Have you commanded the morning since your days? Now here are Job's days, as God, Christ demonstrates in the, in the same chapter. Just a few verses down. Know you it because you were born then born, or because the number of your days is great? Oh, no, Job wasn't then born. The whole point being he wasn't there. Again, that circularity law just being a false doctrine. God is using sarcasm to get to get us to acknowledge that we are his inferiors and have been here only as a passing vapor. James 4, verse 14, Whereas you know not what the, will be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a very little time, and then vanishes away. Now, Bildad had already truthfully informed Job that his days on this earth are, are as yesterday, of yesterday, and we know nothing because our days upon the earth are a shadow. Job 8, verses 8 and 9. For inquire, I pray you, of the former age, and prepare yourself to search their fathers. For we are of yesterday, and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are a shadow. Bildad told the truth there. It revealed to us that Christ is the day spring. It was he who furnished the light of the first day. 
Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God, Christ, said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Christ was that light. He didn't need anything else. He is the light. Christ tells us that it was he who created the light and the darkness as types of good and evil. Isaiah 45, verses 6 and 7, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Christ himself is called the Son, S-U-N. Malachi 4.2. This was, you know, something I didn't realize until I saw it there. There it is, the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N. Malachi 4.2. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now, notice that, healing in his wings. We're going to be seeing that that's very significant here in a little bit. And you shall go forth as calves of the stall. In other words, very well fed. Christ, uh, Christ himself is the son of those first three days of creation. And even in the morning are not do not require a physical sun in the stars that are made on the first day. Any more than a grown man requires being a baby first. Or a hen requires uh, an egg first. God is not limited to the physical realm and can create an evening in the morning by simply causing the earth to rotate just as he can create a mature man, a mature hen, a mature tree with growth rings already in them, leaves and blossoms and fruit already in place. Now let's look at what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us concerning the prophet known as John the Baptist and John's relationship to Christ who is called the day spring from on high. Here in Luke 1 verses 76 through 79. And you, child, this is addressing John the Baptist, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. It's all being done through God. To give light to, to them that sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the function of the day spring. The, the day spring that we're speaking of here in our study. Uh, it's, it, the day spring is also called the day star. Second Peter 1 verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise upon your hearts. Christ arises upon your hearts. Christ refers to himself as the morning star. And all these titles refer to the one Lord through whom the Father has created all things. Look at Revelation 2 verses 26 through 28. He that overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter, they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. Now what is this morning star Christ is offering us if, we, if he sees fit to make us to be overcomers? Here is the gift that he's offering us. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of, Jacob, of David, and I am the bright and morning star. Christ is giving us himself within us if we're granted to be overcomers. The overcomers of Revelation 2 and 3. He that <clears throat> hears what the Spirit says to the churches and repents and uh, <clears throat> buys gold tried in the fire and quite buys white linen to be clothed with. He is the bright and morning star. Job 38, verse 13, that it, 
might take hold, that is the day spring, might take hold of the ends of the earth, <clears throat> and that the wicked might be shaken out of it. That it, the day spring, might take hold of the ends of the earth. That the wicked might be shaken out of it. Is just another way of saying that Christ might come into us and burn out of us all that will burn. Paul puts this verse in these words. Same message, just in the New Testament. Brother, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 16. For other foundation can no man lay than is that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. For the day, the day spring, you know, shall declare it. That's what the day spring does. Shakes out the wickedness, burns out the wickedness. Because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. The fire. The fire being the word of God. According to Jeremiah 5 verse 14. Which says, you know, because you've spoken this word, my words will be in your mouth as fire. And this people will be as word, wood and it will devour them. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, verse 14, he will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. Wow. Yet so as by fire. So fire, yes, it torments, but in the end it saves. Burns up what will be burned up, that's the torment, but saves in the end. Verse 16, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? But the fact that the first and primary application of Scripture is now, right now, and is inward, in no way denies that the day is coming when God's elect will outwardly take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. Now let's look at a very interesting fact concerning this ver verse of Job. The word ends, as in the ends of the earth, is translated from the Hebrew word for wings. It actually, apparently, should be translated the wings of the earth. It's the Hebrew word kanaf. The day spring takes hold of the wings of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. Now let's notice how King David uses this very same word. Very same word, kanaf. I will build, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. Now we know what the tabernacle of God is. We just read it, you know. There in 1 Corinthians 13, you are the temple of God. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of your wings. Same word, kanaf. Same word translated uh, uh, the ends of the earth in Job there. Let's notice how King David uh, equates the God's tabernacle. Or, because he says, I will abide in your tabernacle. Now let's just see how that applies. That's the tabernacle Paul just informed us we are. And King David says he will abide in the covert, the tabernacle of God, the covert of his wings. This all makes Christ's burden for Jerusalem so much more meaningful. In Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39, where we read Christ lamenting over Jerusalem, actually shedding tears. It says he wept. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone them which are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not henceforth, shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. What Christ is lamenting is that he would have made Jerusalem his temple, his people, his house in which he would dwell, but they would not have him. Therefore their house is left to them desolate. And Jerusalem stands for the church of God. That's what it stands for. God's own church will not have him. His own people will not have him. Their house will not at this time be his house, his temple where he dwells. He won't have it. Verse 14, and 
Job 38. It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. We're still talking about the day spring. The day spring takes hold of the wings of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. Now let's look at verse 13 so we can understand the meaning of verse 14. That they might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. The wings of the earth. That is turned to clay, is turned as clay to the seal, is referring to the day spring which takes hold of the ends of the earth. And out of which the wicked are, the earth out of which the wicked are shaken, speaks of the earth as the clay in the potter's hand. Being made another vessel, it seemed good to the potter to make it. A seal leaves an imprint in the clay. And they stand as a garment, refers to those who are turned as clay to the seal. So in this case, the clay refers to those who are molded into the vessel the Lord wants them to be. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure, Christ, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Christ is in us, conforming us to his image, just like a uh, seal conforms clay to the image of the seal. Sort of a reverse application of that truth, but it's the same message. Now here's how Jeremiah makes this statement. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. God doesn't cause everyone to hear his words, but he causes his elect to do so. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel. In other words, the in the end, the Israel of God, which is referred to in Galatians 6, 16, is turned as clay to the sealed, and they stand as a garment. The garment is interpreted as that which covers our nakedness, our sins. And white raiment is interpreted as the garment which symbolizes the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 19. Under the angel which is of the church of the Laodiceans, uh, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So, that, so then, because you are lukewarm and are neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. God is not going to have any part of anyone who is half-hearted in their service to him. If we are not sold out, if we're not willing to lose our lives, we're not gods. We may be in the future, but at this time, we're not. Because you say, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and know not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now that's the admonition to all the churches of Asia. Be zealous, repent. Let him that has an ear hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. So it's the day spring, and those who, in him who dwells, in whom he dwells, I should say, who are turned as clay to the seal, which seal is Christ, and whose image we became, or become. It's those who are conformed to the image of Christ, who are used by Christ to bring his light to this world. Very few at this time are even given to receive his light, which they bring. So we're told in verse 15 of Job 38, from the wicked, and from the wicked their light is withholding, the light of the day spring and the arm shall be broken. Now their light is the light of those who are the dayspring, who bring the truth of God to those who are given to accept the light of the dayspring. But this light is withheld from us also until our appointed time. Now here's the statement as it is interpreted by the New Testament. 
Romans 11, verse 8. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, that they should not slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Light is withheld from the wicked. Like the church of Laodicea, they do not see themselves as being wicked. To us at this time in our walk, we are those who are, as Job said earlier, consider darkness to be light, and we hate the light. Excuse me, in the dark they dig through houses, which they have marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. For the morning, the day spring, is to them even as the shadow of death, if one know them. They are the shadows, the terrors of the shadow of death. We're all blinded until the day we are granted eyes that see and ears that hear. Um, Matthew 13, verses 14 through 17. And in them, wicked, self-righteous, wicked, from whom their light is withholding, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by seeing you'll see, by, by hearing you'll hear and not understand, and seeing you'll see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted. And I should heal them. Excuse me. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things which you hear, and have not heard them. So there it is. The Lord is giving light to to a few, but not to all. Now next week, Lord willing, we will continue to hear the Lord's words of our self-righteous old man who cannot see that he is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Lord willing, these will be our verses for next week's study.